From digital horsemanship, this is Finding the Field, bringing you stories and insights from today's most inspiring horsemen and women. I'm a true believer in there's a saying you get the horse you need when you need them. Welcome back to Finding the Field, where we chat with great horse people about the lessons they learned from great horses. New episodes come out every other Tuesday. I'm super pumped for today's guest. Not only is he an outstanding reigning competitor and horseman, but he was sharing his knowledge and building a community of horse people before it was cool. Warwick Schiller teaches the principles of horse training through his online video library, Facebook group, and clinics. He uses real horses and real life examples to make horsemanship accessible to anybody who wants to listen and learn. Learn more about Warwick on Facebook at Warwick Schiller's Performance Horsemanship and online at warwickshiller.com. Welcome, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So you grew up in Australia, most people know that about you, but you grew up on a farm. Tell us what that was like and how it shaped you as a person. Yeah, so I grew up on a uh, 1200 acre, what you'd call a mixed farm, sheep and wheat. Where I come from, it's the sheep and wheat belt of Australia. Um, it's 1200 acres and you know, I thought everybody when they got home from school, had a horse to ride. That was my normal. That's, you know, every, every kid I think has their their own version of normal. And that was my version of normal. You just come home from school, hop on your horse and go ride around. You just thought that was normal riding horses. So where, where does your passion for horses come from? If you'd asked me that question two years ago, I'd probably give you a totally different answer than I gave you now. So, I mean, you know, I'm now 51. And up until probably early last year, I probably would have given you a completely different answer. So let's give you the first answer. Uh, what was it about the horse? I don't know. It, it was just, yeah, I just felt at home doing horsey things around horsey people. When I was a kid and we'd go to a horse show, and I think a lot, you probably feel this too. Uh, you've been to a lot of horse shows. When I was a kid and you'd go to a horse show, you'd come back from the horse show and you'd go, oh, now I've got to go back to reality or... You know, or that, that other thing, I don't know, it just, the, 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 the whole horse experience was, was always the, the, the place I really felt, I don't know, like me. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate. I know. I know I can relate. So then, what's your answer today? Oh, how do I put this? Probably learning to be good with horses makes you a better version of yourself. In what way? In every way. You know, the problems that we have with them are usually caused by us. And I think they are very good at, how would you say this? They're very good at revealing our inadequacies. In order to get along with horses really well, you have to be in the moment. You have to be right there. You can't be carrying your baggage from yesterday or you can't be imagining what's going to happen tomorrow and that sort of stuff. And, and these days, the big uh, the big catchphrase anywhere is mindfulness. You know, everybody's into meditation and all sorts of stuff these days. And I'd say now that I'm actually into that stuff, it's like, oh, I've always been into meditation. But it was riding the horses and working with horses was the meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing about meditation is you are right there. You're not thinking, you know, your, your mind is right where you are. And about, I think the only time my mind is... Well, it's getting better now because I'm working on it, but I think the only time my mind's ever been right where I was was when I was working with a horse. Learning to get along with horses, that's probably one of the skills you really have to have is being right there present in the moment. So you were in Australia and you were actually a banker for a while. You didn't just kind of decide to go into horses as a profession. No, not at all. How did that, how did that happen? I mean, how did you not just transition to being a horse? I probably didn't believe it was an option. That's probably the best way to put it. So then you take a break and you travel to the US. What was the turning point where you decided, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do this? Oh, that was easy. I didn't even know I was gonna do it. I took a year off and I came to America and I, um, I was here for two weeks and I, got a, I didn't have a, I, I knew one person in America when I got here and uh, they took me to Cow Palace on the day that the reigning and the cow horse was on and uh, Tony Amaral was judging. And the people that I was with knew Tony Amaral and they went up and introduced me to him afterwards and said, um, this guy's looking for a job, you know anybody looking for work? And he says, yeah, Don Murphy is. And so I got Don's number and called him and I went over to Don's very soon after that, met him and he said, sure, you can start whenever you want. So 
you know, I'd been in America for two weeks, got a job with Don, and I worked for Don all year, and then um, it was time to go home. And so the the day I was leaving, we were on the on the porch at uh, Don's house there in Brentwood. I forget who was taking me to the airport, but someone was, you know, this car in the driveway sort of thing, and Don shook my hand and he said, uh, what exactly did he say? He said, you know what, you could do this for a living if you wanted to. I don't know if it was a turning point then, but that was like, really? You think so? You know, I didn't say anything, but I um, went, oh, that's interesting. I didn't even realise that sort of thing. So that was the start of it. And I'd met, I'd met my wife, Robin, in the meantime. Uh, I chased her around and she ran like a scalded cat. <laughs> and so, uh, but I'd met her and so I went back to Australia and I went back for six months and, and, um, and Robin actually missed me chasing around. <laughs> And so uh, her letter, this is back in the days when we used to write letters. I don't know if you remember that. You don't, probably don't remember that. This is before email um, and Skype and stuff. So we'd write letters, but her letters got a lot nicer. And so I thought, nah, and th- th- there was a job offer still on the table with Don. So I, um, so I came back. So half for the horses, half for the girl. Yep, <laughs> pretty much. It's a good reason. So your time with Don, what would you say you, your biggest takeaways are, your biggest learnings? I, well, I learned a lot more from Don after I worked for him than when I worked for him. And I wasn't around him at all after I worked for him, but the things that he said sunk in. I'd be, you know, I was a young trainer out my own, and I'd be trying something, and all of a sudden I'd go, oh, okay, I get it now. I was, I think I was, for, working for Don for a long time, I was, I was too scared of doing the wrong thing. I remember one time I'd, I would get into these uh, periods where I, I almost wasn't doing anything with the horses. I was just kind of riding them around because I didn't want to do it wrong sort of thing. And I remember Don riding up to me one day. He goes, I don't care what you do. Just do something. And at the time, I didn't realize that in learning to do anything, you have to learn to do it wrong. You know, you, you are going to fumble. You are going to make mistakes. It's, that's how you learn stuff. And uh, at the time, I, well, I wasn't aware of that. But I was, yeah, definitely worried about doing it wrong. And I got to where I wasn't doing anything. And that's why... I think I learned a lot more from Don when I wasn't working for him because I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I was trying stuff and it didn't work and I'd figure out why it didn't work and I'd go, oh, I remember Don told me that. As you're building your career over this time, was there a horse that, that changed your life? Yeah, there was a horse uh, that we bought for a client. Um, his name was Hobby's Gun Thief. We bought him for a client of mine and she was just showing him the green as grass and... Uh, one year, and then the next year, well, the first show we're going to was what's now the Cactus Classic. And um, Laurie had me show him there, and the, I won the limited open both days. And um, Mike Boyle said to me down there, he goes, you know what? You were like haul for a title. You see, because that's the kind of horse you could do it with. And I, the owner's name was Laurie Figgeth, and I mentioned it to Laurie, and she said, well, find out about it. So driving home from that show, I called Jordan Larson, because Jordan was working for Pete Carroll at the, Carroll at the time, and he won the limited open world title a year before on a man named Amber and Oak, I think. So I said to Jordan, so how do you go about doing that? He goes, just go to whatever shows you're going to and then halfway through the year, if you look like you're in the lead, then you're going to start making some plans to go to shows that you you weren't going to. And so it's a cool story. I was actually in the running for the title with uh, Jessica Keller writing uh, New Checks to Cash. It was, uh, it was cool because when we started showing on the East Coast, you know, neck and neck for the title sort of thing, they said to us, well, how are you going to keep your horse out here? And I said, oh, I don't know. And they said, well, why don't you keep him at our place? He was pretty simple. So they said, we'll keep him legged up and you can fly out here and come to shows with us. And so he stayed at Hilldale Farm there in, in uh, Tennessee and I'd come back to California and they'd keep him legged up and I'd fly out and we'd, off we'd go to a horse show. And I remember the first time we did that, we went to a show in Forest, Mississippi. You ever heard of Forest, Mississippi? Neither had I. We drove 12 hours all night to go to Forest, Mississippi, and I showed the next day, and in the right circles, when I slowed down, he fatally behind and broke gate and picked it back up again. Lost three points right there. So I was a 70 and a half. It was going to be a 73 and a half. I was a 70 and a half, and Jessica Keller on New Checks to Cash was a 71. I was mad. <laughs> I was not very happy, and Charlie Hutton, he kind of talked me through the whole thing. He's, he's from the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia, and he said, there's an old Appalachian saying that the sun does not, what do you say? The sun does not shine on the same dog's butt every day. <laughs> Today is not your day. Or something like that. I can't do Charlie's accent very, very good. But um, at that show, I learned a, a really valuable lesson that helped me with the rainers later on. So when I came around, you know, I'd shown quite a bit all year, and you know what those horses get like leaning across the middle when you've shown all year. 
And when I was showing him that day, I came around and I was kind of thinking, please don't, please don't, please don't lean across the middle, please don't lean across the middle. So the next morning there was like a ladies and gents class I could school in. So I said, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to round and I'm going to look at the out gate. I'm going to almost lean across there and go, I dare you to lean across the middle because I'm going to fix it. Old Gunner ran around there and stayed perfectly right there. And I realized right then that when you tell those horses, oh, please don't do it wrong because there's no way I could correct you right now. Oh, you've got me, you know, hung out to dry. They can tell. But if you're confident and you go, you can do whatever you want because I'm, I'm prepared to take control if I need to. So I schooled him. That, I didn't have to school him because he didn't do anything wrong. And then that night when I showed him again, it was the first time I'd ever done it. I came running around those right circles. And as I came off the wall in those right circles, I looked at the outgate and I kind of said, you want to try it? And boom, he was right there. And he didn't lean across the middle. It was very, very cool. What do you think it is about that? It, it's kind of like they say, like women's self-defense classes, if you're in a parking lot late at night and you kind of look at the ground, you're like, oh, oh, I'm kind of, you know, oh, 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 oh. you just you're emanating the fact that you can be taken advantage of. Whereas if you walk along with your chin up and your shoulders back and walk with a bit of purpose, you emanate that, hey, you can try it if you like, but it isn't going to work because I can control this situation. And I really think horses can really feel that. Because I was, like I said, I was running around there and I'm like, please don't, please don't, please don't, please. And he did. But then when I schooled him and I said, okay, if you want to lean across there, I'm prepared to let you do it but I can take care of the situation and he didn't do it. And then I had to, and that's easy when you're schooling, but then that night I had to come back and show him again and I tried it and that was, and it worked. And that was a huge, a huge showing thing for me. Like, wow. Once again, there's that confidence thing. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot showing that horse. He was cool. What was he like in general? What was his personality? Uh, he was kind of quirky, right? Now, these days I could probably, I think I could probably help him out. He was kind of quirky, kind of snorty in his stall. Which I think what made him a good rainer, because you didn't have to tune him up. Like, you know, you laid that rein on his neck, he spun, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a quirky sort of a horse. From the things that he taught you, how has that impacted your approach to working with horses now? It was more about uh, training. Uh, it, was, it was more about showing than anything. But he, there is something he did, he did teach me I use a lot these days. I almost hadn't not been first or second on him all year. And I think I'd get kind of complacent about the riding of him, you know what I mean? And uh, so we go to this show in, in Virginia, and he was horrible. He drugged me around the pen. <laughs> he showed me. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was, I was all despondent, like, it's over. It's, it's done. I, he's, he's, he's done. And I came home. I just went back to breaking body parts into pieces. Because I'd, I'd been practicing maneuvers on him. I hadn't been working on exercises, suppling exercise. I'd just been riding him around, you know what I mean? So I came back home and I went back and I just started on working on all the little bits. And uh, then we went to Raining by the Raining by the Bay was two weeks after that, I think, and I had a 73 and a half on him. So it sounds like you're saying the little things are the important things. Oh yeah, very much so. So how do you put that, put that into practice? Oh, you know, there's a, there's a, um, we had an intern a few years ago and she'd been very involved in the salsa dancing scene. She loved salsa dancing and when she went to college, she actually went to college in Mexico so she could be immersed in the salsa dancing scene while she was in college. And uh, she told me a dance saying. She said, beginning dancers tend to take intermediate lessons and intermediate dancers tend to take advanced lessons. But advanced dancers take beginning lessons. And it's and I, I tell that story at clinics all over the world because... Anybody who's really good at anything has learned how to perfect the basics. I mean, everything that's good is just a whole lot of perfect basics put together. And if your basics fall to pieces, the, the big things fall to pieces. And that's something that, that the rain has taught me. You know, I got to a level and I wanted the horses to be better. And I was trying, I was doing too much. Probably a big turning point was I went to a, uh, a Dell Hendricks clinic and I had a horse that I'd shown at the Raining Futurity. He was a four-year-old by now. He's a top cell Cody stud and he could turn, he could stop, he could do all the stuff, but he always stopped like a 1970s cow horse. His hind end worked really well, but he was really stiff from the front. He'd stick his head in the air and I was trying to fix his head, you know, trying to get him to put his head down and loosen up his front feet and I couldn't get it sorted. And so I'm going to this Dell Hendricks clinic and I'm going to get this sorted. Dell's going to fix this for me. But when we got to the stopping portion of it, 
I'm thinking, this is what I came for. This is what I paid my 300 bucks for. And, and Del says, okay, so go over there and just start at one end and fence him to the other end just slow. And so I lope off and Del says, put your hand down. And I said, it is down. He goes, no, it's not. Look at it. And I looked at my hand and even though the reins were loose, my hand was like two inches off the left side of his neck. And I thought my hand was down. It was down, but it wasn't in the middle. And Del said, put your hand in the middle. And I put my hand in the middle. And as soon as I did, that horse leant off to the right, banked off and headed off towards the right corner. And Del said, just steer him over the left corner. So I steered him over there. And he said, now do it again, do it again, do it again. And every time I loped off, he'd say, put your hand down. What I thought my hand was in the middle wasn't. And uh, we got to where he could lope up and down in a straight line. Then Del goes, okay, now kick him up a notch. So I lope off, kick him up a notch, put your hand down. I look down, there's my hand over the side again. When I put my hand down, he leans off to the right. So then we had to get him straight at half speed. And he said, now, start running him fast. And as soon as I start running fast, put your hand down. Oh, and I put my hand down, he leans off to the right, and I steer him over to the left. And we get him to where he runs up and down fast, straight. And Del goes, okay, he's running straight now. I think it's time to say the word. Just run down there and ask him to stop. And I'm thinking, okay, big man, now you get to see what my problem is. And then you can fix it for me. Because all this fencing stuff, forget that stuff. That's not the problem. So I lope off and I go running down there and I go run, 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 run. And I go, whoa. And this horse drags his butt like he always does. But he sticks his head between his front feet and goes, pedal, 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 pedal. And I stop and I look over at Del. And he looks at me and he goes, what's wrong with that? And I said, he's never stopped like that in his life. I had trained him to stop perfectly well, but I hadn't worried about the little thing, the approach, the run. I was helping him just a tiny little bit, but he wasn't holding it on his own, so he had a slight lean in that rundown. And when I said, well, the first thing he did was went to the ground with his front feet instead of his hind feet. And it was, that was like a, a, a light bulb moment for me. And I have a, we'll probably get into it here in a minute, but I've got a TV show called The Principles of Training. It airs on Horse and Country TV in the UK and Europe, and it's on Farm and Ranch TV on Roku here in America. And uh, the very first episode, so it's called The Principles of Training, and each episode is a principle of horse training. And the, and the uh, first episode's called Make the Wrong Thing Hard and the Right Thing Easy. The key was to let him make the mistake. I didn't, I'm like everybody, I don't want to let him make a mistake. You have to let him make a mistake in order for him to find out what, the, what mistake he's actually making, and then you overcorrect it. Another one of the the episodes of the principles of training is called do the opposite you know if your horse is leaning to the right steer him to the left if he's leaning to the left steer him to the right if he's going too fast go too slow if he's going too slow go too fast just do the opposite of whatever they're doing don't try to get to the middle don't try to get them to do what you want them to do whatever's going wrong have them do the opposite of that and pretty soon they'll find the middle on their own and uh, yeah that probably the that's a life lesson right there is embrace mistakes you, you have to be able to make mistakes Fast forward all the way to this year, what do you have going on now? Well, I'm having a bit of a quiet sort of a year. So for the last, oh, what is it now, 2018. So for the last the last couple of years, I've been doing the clinics really, really strong, like traveling a lot all around the world. And, and uh, I think working with, you know, so I'd probably, I could work with, I don't know, 400 horses a year, maybe more. I think you learn a little bit from every one of them. And, and so... Kind of last year I had a bit of an epiphany year where I got some new ideas and so this year I kind of took a step back from the clinics to try to let it all let it all gel let it all set someone commented one time not long ago and said oh you're having a node year and I said a node year what's that and they said oh it's a Japanese term and you know how you know bamboo can grow really really tall so you've got the the, the skinny piece of the bamboo the tubular part but then there's that node that solid bit and it slows down, fills that in, then it grows fast and it grows the tube bit and then it slows down and fills that in. Because if it just grew that tube, it wouldn't be strong, it would break quite easily. So the, in the, the Japanese, the Eastern way of thinking, when you have a, a period of rapid growth, you need to stop, slow down and, and let it all settle. Otherwise, it will, won't be a solid structure. So anyway... I'm having a bit of a node year this year. I've kind of taken the year off from the clinics and my, my idea was I was going to go to a lot of other people's clinics. So that was the plan, but then we got this wild idea. Hey, let's try out for the World of Question Games again. So we, we've been, we've just got back from a five week road trip. We had a, a, a World of Question Games qualifier at the Cactus Classic in Scottsdale. And then there were some others at the NRBC in, in um, Katy in Houston, Texas time I'd set aside to do clinics. So now we're home for a while. So now I'm trying to organize whose clinic I'm going to go to and when I'm going to do it. 
Are you trying to evolve your clinics in a certain way? You know, I've just been doing my clinics for so long. You know, as they say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. They've been working fine. It's not like I, I, I feel like they're not working, but I, I would like to, like I said, it's not just the clinic structure, it's the horsemanship as well, but I'd like to broaden all of my horizons. And, and probably a big part of it is dealing with the the demographic that I deal with, people that have their horse at home and they, they have their hands on all the time. There is so much of what's going on with us uh, going on with our horses. And so it's, it, you know, it's almost like a life coaching thing because in order to, I think in order to be able to apply techniques well or, or, or just train horses well, if you, you know, if you, you can have all the information in the world about what to do, but if you're impatient or you're angry or you're scared or you're any of those things, it will affect how you apply that technique. You'll either be too soft, too hard, too late, too fast, all of those things. And, and it's not so much you're, you know, it's, it's come down to now trying to help people with that sort of thing so they can train their horses. I used to think I was a horse trainer. I used to think, hey, well, if you just do what I say, it'll work. And then after doing a lot of these clinics, you can look at, okay, there's 15 different ways a person can do one thing. And all of the 15 different ways is basically a reflection of what's going on with them. How to get that information across to people. Yeah, more human training than Oh, than yeah, training. very much so, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I like so much about the way you, you do things is, is you talk about the people and about why you're doing something. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's kind of how my whole, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a, a big YouTube channel right now. I'm getting close to 14 million views on that. 13 million, 900 and something thousand right now. But that whole thing started out, it, and, and, and that YouTube thing turned into my online subscription thing, which has kept me busy for the last few years. But that didn't start out as a business venture at all. That started out as just sharing like, hey, let me show you how some little techniques to show you how easy this stuff can be. If you're struggling with your horse doing this little particular thing right here, let me show you some way to, to make it easier. Because I always struggled with the information I was given because it was either given too cryptically or I was told what to do but not why it worked. And so if the situation is slightly different, you're stuck because you don't know what to do because you don't know why you did what you did in the first place. Mm -hmm. you, you got told to do it, you did it and it worked. But now you have a technique and that technique works perfectly well in that exact situation. But if you change the situation and you don't understand why you did what you did in the first place, it can get quite difficult. So, the, you know, my probably my big skill, I hear it all the time from people, is my ability to explain stuff to people in a way they understand. And I, I probably have a skill to do that, but the reason I do that is because I always said to myself, if I get to the point where I'm teaching people, I want to teach them in a way I wish I was taught in the first place. You know, I'm a why person. When I was a kid, mum said my favourite word was why. <laughs> I didn't care if you told me if the sky was blue, I want to know why it was blue. You know, I'm not inventing the wheel here. I'm not, I'm not showing you something that nobody else does. But what I can do quite well is put it in a way that you understand. And for a long time, you know, I'm the analogy king, but for a long time, my, my horse training analogies, in order to help people train their horses, I gave them human analogies. Basically giving an analogy of something they already understand and inserting the horse into that into that scenario. Was there an experience that you had that made you transition from just thinking about training reining horses to thinking about training horses in more of a horsemanship fashion? Um, yeah, when I was, you know, when I'd have young reining horses, I was trying to figure out better ways to start them on the saddle and, and, and have the, 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 the process up to where you're trying to turn them into a reining horse, you know, trying to make that easier. And so I was always kind of looking outside the box a little bit, outside the you know, the reigning bubble sort of thing. And so early on, I got kind of interested in, you know, like the Ray Hunt sort of stuff, you know, that, that sort of thought process. And what's funny is, I think it's probably a little bit different these days, but what used to happen is the like the horsemanship people thought the, you know, the reigners were barbaric and the reigners thought the horsemanship people were all, you know, pot smoking hippies or whatever. The, the principles behind what they 
what both camps do is the same thing. It's it's the same it's the same logic, it's the same process is just used differently in it and it once I got that and that's that's something that probably helped me early on was figuring out that hey I can learn I can learn how to make my spins better or my stops better from someone else even though he we won't he won't be talking about spins or stops it's all about the process and that's why when I I uh, got asked by Farm and Ranch TV here in America a year or so ago to do a, a TV show I think they thought it was going to be your average horse TV show where in this episode we're going to teach you how to change leads and in this episode we're going to teach you how to open a gate or whatever but I elected to do it on the principles of training because everyone I've ever seen who can train a horse well if they anytime they told me a technique I could go oh I know why that works because that's the same as that okay and that's the same as and that's the same thing Don Murphy told me 18 years ago and and it's it's kind of like I call myself a dot joiner if you've ever read a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, uh, he's just a dot joiner. He just joins the dots. And, you know, an outlier is, he describes it as something from a statistical group that stands far apart from that statistical group. He's trying to figure out what makes successful people successful, why they're an outlier. And he just joins the dots. Uh, there's a really good book called The Nature of Horses by a fellow named Stephen Bedansky. And there's a lot of research in that book, but he doesn't come up with the research. He just joins the dots in the research. And it was back when I was looking into that Ray Hunty horsemanshipy stuff that I realized that the reigning stuff that I'd learned had the same principles as that stuff I was learning as well. You also make this analogy, and the way I understand is that sometimes in working with these horses, you can take two steps back, but then you can take three steps forward. Yeah, I was I was at a clinic in Texas last year, and there was uh, there was a lady there, and she at the clinic, and she is a uh, she works in a children's psych ward, and I said, "What is it in a hospital?" She goes, "No, we're in jail. We're we're the, we're the end of the road. So it's a jail for kids with psychiatric difficulties." And I was talking about training horses, and I said, "Now you'll get to a point, and then it'll all fall to pieces, and you'll have to go back to the start." When you go back to the start, you're not going backwards. That's the only way to go forward. And what will happen is when you, when you come out of that, you'll get a bit further than you did last time. And then it'll all fall to pieces. And you'll go back to the start and you'll come back further. And, and this lady said, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the cycle of addiction. She said people are addicted to something and they start to get clean, but then they relapse. But when they, then they relapse and they go back into rehab or whatever and they come out and they'll come further out and then they'll relapse. And then they'll go back and they'll come out of it and they'll go further out and they relapse and eventually you get to the point where you don't relapse so but that failure once again failure is a part of success you know you have you you're always going to go back uh you know you're always going to go back to the beginning if you keep going back to the beginning the next time you can get further away from the beginning before you relapse or you have problems or whatever and you go back and you start all over again can you tell us about a horse where you went through that cycle with them? every horse i've ever trained <laughs> i have a I have a um, imported warm blood eventing horse here right now, and she's a, a two star eventer, but she rares. She's a chronic rarer, and um, she. Uh, so I, you know, she's been here several weeks now, and not that she she hasn't relapsed at all, but but um, training horses what you need to do like so i'll tell you what i did with her the first day i taught her whatever i taught her the second and at the end of that day she was good with that the second day when i got her out i didn't assume she was good with the things she was good with the first day i started and i went through the first day got through that and then i added the second day's work and then i put her away at the end of the second day she knew two things and i got her out the third day and i went back over the first thing and the second thing and the third thing and when i got her out the fourth day i started at the beginning and i had the second thing the third thing and i added the fourth thing and and you keep doing that. And so she wasn't necessarily relapsing, but I was relapsing for her. I was going back to the start and making sure. I mean, that's how video games work. Okay? That's, that's, that's the cycle of learning. That's how video games are set up. If you play a video game and you start on level one and you go along a little bit and then you die, you go back to the start. But then you know why you died and you go along and you get through that bit and you get to the next bit and, you get, and then you die and then you go back to the start. But it goes back and makes you practice your basics. Here's that basics thing all over again. It makes you practice the basics and you go a little further and you die and you go back and, you, and you've got to practice the basics 
and you've got to keep going. And every time you come out of it, you get a bit further along. That's the same as the cycle of addiction. I call that the Donkey Kong principle because I used to play a bit of Donkey Kong. That's one of the few video games I've ever played. But training horses, the Donkey Kong principle is you always go back to the start. You know, when you're teaching a horse, especially, you know, like young horses, when you teach them stuff, you always, every day for quite a while, you start at the start and you go back through all your previous work. And it, what it does is you practice your basics. You're not drilling on your basics because if it works, you go to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't work, oh, this is where I have to, this is what I have to work on today. And so it really ensures that you, you're not skipping steps. And anytime you run into a big problem, usually that's a, a, a symptom of a small problem adding up. Whereas if you're always just starting at the beginning and going through back, back through your previous work, usually that takes care of any big problems you might have. And then after a while, you get to where, like in a video game, you can save the first, the first level. So you, you, it's saved. You don't have to play that level anymore. And, and I do quite a bit of groundwork with horses, but groundwork's like that first level of the video game. You go through it enough till you know it, and then pretty soon you just get your horse out, throw the saddle on, and off you go. So in practice, maybe we can use the, the warm blood example. How do you know when your horse is ready for you to not go all the way back to the beginning? When Okay, very good question. That's an easy answer. It's kind of like... When, when does the video game let you save the first level? When you get all the way through the first level without dying. <laughs> you have to get to the end of the first yeah. level without dying. And without dying means without making a mistake. Okay, so if I'm, if I'm doing, you know, let's say I've got a, uh, a young horse and I'm doing, say, some, you know, some, say, the, say I'm starting a young horse and I do the groundwork that I would work on leading up to the first saddling. Okay, so I've done all that get to the first saddling, the next day I come out, I still go back through all the groundwork I've done before, but it might take two minutes to go through what I took them two weeks to teach. And then the first saddling, when we get up to the first ride, I'm gonna go through all the previous stuff and the first saddling and the first ride. And then, you know, maybe I'll ride it three days in the round pan before I ride it outside for the first time. But the first time I ride it outside, I go through all the previous work, which might take me five minutes. I go in the round pen, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? Good, put the saddle on, ride around the round pen, out I go. And if I've had a couple of days, two or three days in a row to where all that stuff worked perfectly, I got on and I didn't have to fix anything, it was perfectly ready to go, then I'm probably the next day I'm going to get on, throw the saddle and take them out in the arena. But what's going to tell me that I can skip stuff if it's been perfect every time? But if, if every time you have to make some sort of corrections, then you've got to go back and, and fix it. And I, I had a really interesting... Uh, I had a, a girl come for a lesson a number of years ago and she had this Palomino horse and she's a trainer and she had this Palomino horse that she had in training and every day you saddle it up, it bucks a little bit when you saddle it up, have it go around, but then it stops bucking and she hops on and rides it. But she's, she's had it for a month and it's bucked with a saddle every single day. And I said, okay, so it's not going away, but it's not getting worse. And she said, no. And I said, okay, so what do you do when it... You put the saddle on and it bucks, what do you do then? She says, when it stops bucking, I hop on and off I go. I said, but that's not how video games work. Think about that buck is you die. Mm -hmm. Okay? You really should go back to the start. She said, what do you mean? I said, okay, put the saddle on. So she saddles it up. We ask it to go around and it bucks a bit and it goes around about five or six circles and stops bucking. I said, good. Now pull the saddle off, put it on the fence, stand around for five minutes like it's a new day, put the saddle back on. So we put the saddle on, buck around, got the buck gone, took the saddle off, put it on the fence. We went through that 12 times that day. And the last time we put it on, the horse didn't buck. So I said, okay, go home and just do that every day. So she'd had the horse for a month and it has bucked the same every day with the saddle. She went home and the second, the, so the first day she was at home, it only took 10 repetitions before it was good. And then the third day it was eight. And then by the end of the week, she could get it out, put the saddle on it, and it didn't buck with the saddle. That makes sense there. So, you know, if your horse bucks with the saddle, it's saying, this is not solid yet. So what I wouldn't do is go to the next step. I go, okay, let's go back to the start of this step and work on it until I can get it to where the horse knows it. Like it doesn't have to buck first before it feels good. It just feels good. So kind of similarly, talking about how people are working with their horses, what's, what's a mentality that you think most people should have that you feel like is, is missed a lot of the time. Oh, mentality. That's the big part of this whole thing. That's what I'm really on about these days. 
um, I'm kind of into, you said you were working on some meditation. I'm kind of into meditation and mindfulness stuff these days. And so I've been reading some, you know, like Buddhist philosophies and that sort of stuff. And the whole no expectation, having no expectation is, is probably the thing that, you know, William Shakespeare said frustration. I mean, expectation is the mother of all frustration. And when you have expectations, and they're not met. That's when you get frustrated with them. And um, I kind of have really no expectations of what's going to happen that the uh, eventing horse that I have right now. So her trainer is very open minded. Like I'm her last resort. She's been to all the big eventing trainers and, stuff, and they can't fix this horse. And so I've got her here. And so when she comes and rides, she will go, but, but she did that. And I just observe that. I mean, she didn't do anything wrong, but what about, you know, she's, she, she tends to have expectations of what today is going to be like. And I've been doing the Donkey Kong principle where they're making a start at the start and mm -hmm. work your way up sort of thing. And she's kind of, because the last time she came and rode a horse, she got to a certain point. She expects when she comes back next time to start at that point instead of starting at the beginning. And it, it's just a mindset you get. And it's, but basically it's, it is what it is. They're, they're up to where they're up to. Um, you know, I, th I think that really, when you have those expectations of what you want to happen, it influences how you perceive what's happening right now. I had a great example this morning. I had a lady message me on Facebook and she said, my horse absolutely will not canter on the, on the ground, like online. Can't get him to canter. He just trots really fast. Anyway, when he canters, then he runs off real fast. And I said, okay, so let me read, my answer to her was, well, I, actually, I said, you said that your horse will not ever canter on the ground. And then, miracle of miracles, he had a canter. So your post should have then said, yay, my horse cantered. But no, it didn't say that. It said, he went too fast. Okay? You want him to canter. When you got, the, you got him to canter, you're upset with it because you have an expectation of a certain kind of a canter at this point in time. You know, it, like when you're riding a young horse for the first time, whatever candy you get to the candy you get. Um, sometimes you've got to be able to go with it and let them run around a bit. I'm getting more, I've had a big shift in the way I look at things because what's interesting was I was a professional horse trainer. I had a barn full of horses. They live in a stall. You get them out, you ride them, you put them back. But most of the people who subscribe to my online videos and come to the clinics and stuff, aren't professional horse trainers that keep a horse in a stall. They're a person that has their horse at home. They keep them out in the pasture. They go out, they hang out with them. And I'm trying to teach these horses how to train their horse like I would train a horse, whereas it's, that's, not their, that's not their situation. So since, you know, we've got a house in five acres here and we can see our horses in the pasture outside there. Since we've had this place, I'm, I'm probably more in tune with what those people are dealing with. I'm not saying they're dealing with a hard situation, but... I can go out and just walk up at the horses and have a scratch on them and hang out with them for 10 minutes and then walk away and not have to do anything. I don't have that need to get something done because there's the pressure of the owner, yada, 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 which I would have a hard time being a professional horse trainer anymore because of the mindset I have now. I mean, I wouldn't have a hard time being a trainer. I'd have a hard time keeping the clients happy because <laughs> I've kind of got a bit of it is what it is sort of thing. I'm, I'm quite prepared to take the time it takes. I have to imagine though that that, pays off in the long run oh it's amazing it's amazing it's just you know the slow way is the fast way but um yeah i put a video up on youtube and social media the other day i've got a i've got an off the track thoroughbred that i got from a horse rescue and i've had him since the 27th of december and the day I, so the video was of the first day i rode him outside which was may the 17th and i'd only had 10 rides on him before that and he trotted around and hung his head and loped around. I only had a halter and one lead rope sort of thing. And he cruised around like a lot of horses probably in their life don't ever cruise around that cool. And uh, I've had him for four months, maybe five months. No, it was 140 days, I think, and done very little with him. I've done a lot with him, but it's been very little of a lot sort of thing. If someone was paying me to train that horse, he's an off-the-track thoroughbred. And in 140 days, they cruised around like that. They'd think I was the greatest horse trainer in the world unless they came and watched me train him every day and they would have taken him away after two weeks because they would have said, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. I want to get something done. I'm in a hurry. And uh, these days I'm not really in a hurry to mess them up. You have to take your time with them, but I'm really onto some stuff now that people would probably call strange, but um, it's really, really slow stuff. But it's amazing what happens because it builds... 
it builds connection with them. You know, I've always said that, uh, like at clinics and at horse expos around the world, I'd always say, I'm not very talented, but I'm, I have a process. This turns into, I'm very step-by-step, step, very regimented. The Donkey Kong principle, go back to the start, all of that sort of thing. And I said, it's, you know, I can get quite a bit of stuff done, not because I'm talented, because I have a process. And I would name people and go, oh, so-and-so's talented. And, you know, this guy, he's talented. I don't think I'm talented. And now I think I've started to realise that what the talented people are really good at is the way they train horses actually builds connection. So I was really big, from my background in the reining, I was really big at teaching horses how to be obedient. If you think about reining, it's just an abject lesson in obedience. There's no reason for the horse to do it except you train him to do it. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, you know, that, was, that has been my background and I wanted more. And for a long time I thought more obedience is going to get more of what I want. And what I've come to realize is it's, it's the connection that's missing. I was, at a, I was at a horse expo in New Zealand last year and I had to go and do a demo late in the afternoon and um, thing. it's supposed to be problem solving under saddle. And then they bring the horse in and it's not under saddle, it's, it's a Kamanawa, which is the Mustang of New Zealand. It's one of them and the lady's leading it in a halter. There's no saddle and I'm supposed to be doing a problem solving under saddle thing. And I said, so what's the story with this horse? And she said, oh, it's my 10 year old daughter's horse. Okay, is it rideable? She goes, oh yeah, she rides it all the time. And I said, has it ever been ridden bareback? And she said, oh, yeah, she only rides it bareback. I'm like, okay, well, I'll get on. We'll do the problem solving under saddle, just we won't have a saddle and ride it bareback. So I throw the lead rope over its neck, tie the lead rope off, hop on, and this Kamanoa proceeds to buck down the arena. So here I'm in front of a large crowd of people that came to see someone else riding this bucking horse bareback. And I kind of got him pulled around and got stopped, and then I start talking about, okay, if this horse is under saddle, this is how I fix the problem. But the thing I found with this horse is if I tried to steer him to the right, if we're riding along and I ask him to steer to the right, I just pick up on the right rein, he would shake his head twice. And if I didn't let go, he'd stop and stomp his right front foot twice. And if I didn't let go, he'd rear up twice. And if I didn't let go, he'd kind of stop and he'd go, oh, then he'd think about looking to the right. And so I spent the whole time of this session working on where I can reach down this right rein and pick up on this rein and steer this horse to the right without it shaking its head, stumbling its front foot and rearing up. So the session was over. So I give it back to the lady and I'm going to go inside. They've got a VIP section where you drink free beer and watch the night show. And um, I go in to watch the night show and they said, oh, you've got a judge. So the first part of it was the kids section and they'd come in and set out obstacles and the kids would come and do different stuff, you know. And this one little girl came on this horse bareback with a halter on and she's jumps and jumps and she's done this and she's done that. And all of a sudden I realised, that's the little horse I rode this afternoon. And it looks great. And there was a balance beam thing. There was, a, there was a, a beam that was probably 10 inches wide and about 12 feet long and about a foot high. And she rode this horse towards it like she's going to walk along it. And I said to Vicky Wilson, I bet you 10 bucks she can't get this pony over this thing because he can't steer it. Vicky goes, you're on. So... This horse walks up this and walks all the way along. It actually has to paddle his front feet to keep his feet and it walks all the way down and gets off. And I'm amazed, like, that horse doesn't even steer. And it goes and completes the rest of the thing. And I was just flabbergasted, like, what? how does she do that? Because he's not trained. And then I went, oh, remember when you were kids and you had a horse and you just hung out with it? And you didn't teach it anything, but it would do anything you asked. Connection. Yeah, I think you referred to that one time as... Ten-year-old girl training. Ten-year-old girl training, yes. Yeah. Which is, and of course, she can't get it to do a flying lead change in a straight line. I mean, you know, connection's not everything. But if you have that, if you can build that connection, all the other stuff, the obedience stuff, is just so much easier. But and it's not something I've had much experience with, probably since I was a kid, sort of thing. But just doing it, it's it's crazy the results you can get out of it. Yeah, well, I think considering that maybe it's part of the training changing your mindset a little yes so what about as a non-pro maybe i'm a performance horse person who shows what's something that that i can do that maybe isn't as prevalent that you think would make me a better horse person the other thing apart from that whole being in the moment thing is get out of your own sandbox and actually experience other disciplines whether you take a jumping lesson or you Take a dressage lesson or you go and watch a dressage clinic or read an article, look at a video or something or other. I've learnt, I think I've learnt more about the reining from 
outside the running discipline in the last number of years and I have learned, you know, not that I've been in it, I've been out of it for quite a while, but I mean, it's just, there is just so much information out there and we tend to get stuck in our own little sandbox and we also tend to be judgmental and look at all the things we don't like about the other disciplines and, you know, you look at the other discipline, you tend to go, oh, they do whatever. And, but there's just as much stuff that they have that we need to know than there is that we don't want to know. You know, there's just as much stuff that we would like if we actually looked at it as there is as the stuff we look at and we go, oh, we're doing our horses doing that. Mm-hmm. We're kind of coming up on time here, so we'll get kind of to our last couple of questions. You're preparing for the World Equestrian Games. How are you personally as a human preparing for that? That's a great question. Part of it is, you know, like I said, I've been doing some meditating, that sort of stuff. I, I think people who are really, really good, at, well, there's, there's people who are good at training, there's people who are good at showing, and, I, and, the, and there's people who are good at being a horseman. I think the really, really, really good guys are all three of those. And the showing part was all my, always my weakest link. I, train, I, I think I train much better than I showed. Some people show better than they train. They're the guy you want to catch or ride your horse sort of thing. I really believe that the reason I didn't show so good couldn't do it as good in the show pen as I could outside is because I, I was too concerned about making mistakes, once again, and what other people would think of me, which stops you from being in the moment. You, you know, your mind's other places. You know, I haven't shown for a few years now, two, three, four years, something like that. And so I've gone back to showing this year, and it's been a bit of a struggle trying to get my mojo back in the show pen. Like the first time I showed in Ardmore, Oklahoma, I felt like I was brushing my teeth with the wrong hand sort of thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but... I've got to the point in my life, I don't really care what other people think of me. And I think that's the deciding factor. That's what's going to help me actually show better is it's not the, it's not the skill part that doesn't work. For me, it's always been the mental part of, you know, being worried about what if, what if I look bad, what if, whatever. And I think a lot of non-pros experience that when they're showing and their, their coach is looking over the, over the gate. It's like, hey, guess what? You're paying him to give you advice. Don't care what, <laughs> you know, don't. <laughs> But yeah, I, I really think that's my big preparation for that is, is probably mostly mental. So what kind of mentality are you trying to achieve? Just being in the moment, you know, like instead of letting your mind go to all those, those other things, who's watching, whatever, especially going to something like the World Equestrian Games, especially being that guy, you know. What's that guy? I'm not a rainer. Okay. I'm a pretend rainer. I'm this guy that goes around the world, helps people with their rearing warm bloods or whatever. So if I let my mind go there... I could really think that everybody's thinking, what's he doing here? Who does he think he is coming in? And I don't think anybody thinks that, but it would be very easy for me to go there. I think it would be very easy for a lot of people. I really don't care. One of the, one of the things I've learned in life that horses have taught me in life is what other people think of you is none of your business. And, it, and I, think it has, I think it was a big part of my life for a long time, being concerned about what other people think of me. You know what I mean? And now I've, I'm at the point now where I, you know, everybody's on their own journey and... Have fun with it, you know. So, I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm a lot less judgmental of other people, both out loud and in my own head. That's the, the mental part of the showing that I, that I was missing. So I, I, I bought a derby horse this year just to show. And, and the reason I bought a derby horse is because I could buy an older horse and just go and show him at some of the local shows here, but there's no pressure there. So, you know, I went to Cactus Classic and showed him there and went to the NRBC and showed him there and... There were some good parts, there were some bad parts, but I really didn't care what anybody thought. We've got a horse here that we bought for Robin a few years ago, and, and uh, he was a bit strange about stuff. Anyway, I got into working with clicker training, and I used to think clicker trainers were crazy cat ladies. Um, but one of the things I was doing with him was he's a, he would get nervous in between spins. And what I was doing at home was I'd get him to stand still, and I would click and treat him. Okay, So I was rewarding him for standing still. Then I'd spin, and when he'd get nervous, I wouldn't, because with him, if you try to fix it, it makes it worse. So I'd just sit there, and he could dance around for 10 minutes. When he finally stood still, I'd click, and then treat him. I was doing that at home. Robin qualified for the North American Affiliate Finals, and so we're, in, we're at uh, Oklahoma City here two years ago, and I'm in the warm-up. And it's late at night. I'm in the warm-up pen with, he's in the top five of money earners of all time. Mm-hmm. And that click thing is loud, okay? So I'm in the warm-up pen at midnight, with one of the best guys in the world, and here I've got my little treat pouch around my waist. <laughs> and I spin little Sherlock, and I stop, and I wait for him to stand still, and I click, and that click sounds like a thunderclap in that arena. And I know he can hear me clicking, and then he sees me bend down to that, you know what? Didn't bother me. And so, yeah, I was out there with my little 
clicker in my treat pouch, looking like a crazy cat lady, and I'm totally fine with that. I love it. One final question. What's the best advice you've ever been given as a horseman? I'd have to say that the, the advice that's probably stuck with me the most was probably from that, that little Del Hendricks story I told you, put your hand down. That put your hand down was stop propping him up and allow him to show you what the problem is. You know, the reason my hand was over there because he was trying to lean to the right and I was trying to keep him straight because he's supposed to be straight. So if you want to sum it up, the best advice I've ever been given, put your hand down. But it's not about putting your hand down. It's stop helping your horse. Let him make a mistake and let him show you what the actual problem is because until you can actually identify what the problem is, like when you go to the doctor, he doesn't just start describing, prescribing you stuff. First, he's got to figure out what's actually wrong with you. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing. Is First, you've got to figure out what's going on. Put your hand down. Let them make a mistake. You know, step back and just, it is what it is. I think a lot of non-pro coaches are nodding really hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> they probably are, yes. Cool. Up next, you have a clinic, a demonstration rather, at the Western States Horse Expo in Sacramento. That's in June, June 8th. And then you have obviously the World Equestrian Games and everything coming up to that. You have your online video library where people can check you out, your Facebook group. Anything else coming up? I've announced that I'm doing clinics next year and I'm, I'm looking for expressions of interest. So my, my Facebook group's been going crazy trying to do a spreadsheet, figure out where's the most interest from and where I'm going to go next, next mm -hmm. year. I saw that. Very cool. We'll, we'll keep an eye out. If you want to find out more about Warwick, like I said, it's warwickshiller.com or Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship on Facebook. That's correct. Anywhere else we can find you? I have a Facebook page too, but I Facebook pages are an interesting thing. They're, they're harder to manage than a group. I really like the group. I, I'm very interactive on the group. Yeah, you're very interactive in the group. So if you want to interact directly with Warwick, then it would be in that group. I do recommend you go watch his videos and learn about his principles before asking a question, but he does answer questions directly in that group and it's, it's pretty cool, so check it out. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much, it's been fun.